Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. The Tribe Called Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! Hello, and welcome to the Talk House Podcast. I'm Nick Dawson, Editor-in-Chief of Talk House Fun. On today's show, we have two artists who are carving out careers for themselves as writer-directors after finding success in other creative fields, Bonnie McKee and Carlson Young. McKee is a Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter who released her debut album Trouble in 2004, but who is maybe best known as a hit songwriter. She has penned 10 singles that have made number one in either the US or the UK, and is a favorite collaborator of Katy Perry, who she worked with on songs like California Girls, Teenage Dream, and Roar. She's also written songs with, well, pretty much anybody who's anybody. Britney Spears, Adam Lambert, Carly Rae Jepsen, Kesha, Rita Ora, Ellie Goulding, Kelly Clarkson, Avril Lavigne, Charlie Puth, and Lauren Gray. McKee, however, used her quarantine time to switch gears, creating the short film April Kills Vibe, which she not only wrote, directed, produced, edited, and scored, but also plays multiple roles in. It's a powerful, but also deft and funny film based on the true story of McKee's sexual assault and how it led to her seeking 12-step recovery from her alcoholism. April Kills a Vibe is now playing on the film festival circuit, that is the COVID version of it, which exists almost solely online. And a fellow traveler in that world is a friend of McKee's, Carlson Young. Young first made her name as a television actress, guesting on shows like Pretty Little Liars, True Blood, Key and Peel, and Grimm, before playing the lead role of Brooke Maddox in the small screen adaptation of Scream in 2015. Young has always been a writer as well, studying creative writing at USC. And in 2018, she wrote, directed, and starred in the horror fantasy short, The Blazing World, which was inspired by imagery that came to her in recurring dreams. Capitalizing on the success of that short, she turned The Blazing World into a feature, which she, just like McKee, shot during COVID. The film, which stars Young, Dermot Mulroney, and Udo Kier, premiered at Sundance this past January and will be out later this year. In their conversation, the two multi-talented friends talked about each of their recent journeys behind the camera, their experiences during, as they put it, this dumpster fire of a year, how they both made their movies as a form of psychodrama, Bonnie's upcoming music-inspired project, which builds on April Kills the Vibe, and the rough time Carlson and her husband, Foster the People keyboardist Isom Innes, had recently when they moved. Carlson, how's it going? You know, it's actually been a really shitty week because we moved, as you know, and the moving company is a scam and stole all of our stuff. What? Yeah. That's a thing? How? Where did you find them? Well, it's a really long story. We've had a storage unit with these people for the past two years because we've been like all over and have not been really settled down. So yeah, when we, we, you know, our moving date was last week last Wednesday and they just kept having like excuses as to why they you know were late and flat tire and all these things and then by the time they showed up they they pull up in this truck and I'm like there is no way that is all of our stuff like we have like a semi's worth of furniture and just the whole nine yards and they start unloading things that are not ours and just different like things I've never seen in my life and then bringing in kind of like some stuff is ours like we have we have our bedroom furniture, weirdly enough, and then like a table and chairs. And then we salvaged like kind of our gallery wall stuff, but everything else, 85% of our property, everything 
is like MIA and the people have like blocked us and like aren't <gasps> answering or anything like this. So we have, it's just, it's so unexpected, just blindsided, you know, I'm like, I'm like moving. Yeah. It's going to be really stressful, but um, oh, yeah, I know. Oh my God. Could not have predicted this one. And apparently, I mean, the more research that we do, like these moving scams are a real thing. And apparently they've really blown up during the pandemic of like so many people moving and like taking advantage of this situation. So I don't know. I'm so sorry. Oh my God. <laughs> That's okay. insane. So can you like take him to small claims court? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like the LAPD is, has been, it's, I mean, just so unhelpful. Like it's really disturbing that when you actually need help or you need somebody to help you they're just am i i you know there are so many hoops you have to jump through but yeah it, do, it does technically fall into civil court so we have to go to the mm-hmm. courthouse we can't file a police report obviously we need that police report to get any kind of insurance right it's just like Whoa. oh my god i'm so sorry well did you have like your computers and stuff with Thank you the lord yes yes but but like isom has 10 years worth of hard drives and laptops <gasps> and all of his music stuff yeah I mean like luckily he has most of his gear but there's there's just like we were making an inventory last night of everything and it's just trade depressing (laughs) I'm so sorry oh my god it's okay I can't imagine losing losing hard drives is really crazy yes really crazy pictures and songs and samples like I mean your whole life lives on a hard drive which always scares me you know like I that's why I I do I write all of my lyrics in journals like in physical Uh journals because I'm so terrified of that happening like I had a list of song titles in my phone like just a a big ongoing list and I like lost my phone did the find my iPhone thing something like that and like a bunch of my shit got wiped and I Mm. lost like a whole year's worth of ideas that were like in the middle of a breakup. So, you know, they were great ideas, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like devastated. No. <laughs> oh my God. It's the worst. suffering. Yeah. I don't trust technology anymore. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I know what you mean. And I don't trust people anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I know what you mean uh, also about the police not being helpful when you actually need them. Like someone tried to break into my house in Silver Lake and I had them on camera, on my ring camera, like look through my bedroom window, see me sleeping and then try to open my sliding glass oh, door. Terrifying. And like, I left like three messages at the police station. No one called me back. No one. So I'm like, I have him on scary. camera. Like <laughs> That is so scary. Yeah. No, that is not okay. (laughs) No. (laughs) This dumpster fire of a year. (laughs) Right. You're like, just Mm -hmm. when I thought it was over. Mm -hmm. So we're here to talk about films and art and music and all that fun stuff. So I made my film, April Kills the Vibe, in quarantine, speaking of a dumpster fire of a year. Yeah. And that was kind of the highlight for me where I felt like I, my year wasn't completely wasted, you know? Yeah. I definitely had a good six months of just like being rolled in fetal position on the couch um (laughs) (laughs) but it gave me something to do it kept me busy Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm glad I have something to show for it but your film was much more involved in mine and looks like it took a lot longer to make we we also shot it during quarantine we wrapped we wrapped essentially September 1st so we Mm. shot it in August in yeah, a little quarantine camp like outside of Dripping Springs in Austin. And yeah, no, it was definitely not a film that was engineered for the pandemic in any way, shape, or form. We had limited crew and resources and it was a little budget ish. So 
so yeah, it was just like, like you said, there was the six months of like, cause we started going into pre-production, like beginning of March, 2020. And then we had just attached our first actor and we were all very excited and we're like, it's happening, it's happening. And then the world changed. So there was like a three month period of kind of regrouping and, and realizing though, with the script that this was a movie that we, we could shoot during COVID because it was never more than four people in, in a house essentially. So I rewrote parts of the script and took us out of the, you know, any sort of public place. And yeah, it was a full quarantine movie. (laughs) When you told me that you had made a film, I was like, oh, cool. She sent it to me. And I was like, I don't know what I was expecting. I think I just, (laughs) I was not expecting like a sci-fi fantasy epic saga. And I was, I was so pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I was, it was just not what I was expecting at all. Like I'm, first of all, it doesn't look like a low budget film at all. Like, I was mm. like, damn, like they really Thank went you. in on that. Yeah, it looked incredible. Yeah, I mean, we just had an amazing, you know, production designer and, and team and had a really kind of unorthodox way of engineering it all and keeping it as safe as we could and trying to put as much weirdo, cool production design as we could to elevate just the overall production value of of the film but we did have over 250 vfx shots um as well so you know anything we couldn't accomplish practically and we could like going into this i wanted to do everything practically you know yeah Mm -hmm. but practically is actually more expensive and Mm -hmm. it can be more expensive and more more people just more people on set which we couldn't have because of you know the restrictions so a lot more had to kind of be directed into VFX than I would have liked but thank you I'm I'm, I thank you for all the things that you said that I will receive that it was challenging (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I am a big fan of practical illusions as well Mm -hmm. I I made a, a music video years ago called stars in your heart um, my friend David Richardson, and it was a Barbarella themed music video. Awesome. And like I have, I've seen other pop stars do that, mm-hmm. but everybody did like the VFX thing. And I was like, I want to build a proper like optical illusion set. So we built a spaceship on the ground and shot from above. And cool. I was I was on like a swivel stool. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like had my lower back on a swivel stool and they tied fishing wire to my legs and just pulled me around. So it looked like I was floating. And there was one point where they put, I was laying on a skateboard and just kind of like pushed myself off the wall. And then it was like, Oh, look, I'm floating up now. Like it was so much fun, but it was expensive and time consuming and, and difficult. Right. 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 So yes. I totally understand a, like the passion about the practical sets yeah. and stuff. Um, but also just that in under the circumstances, how impossible that would have been <laughs> to do, you know? Yeah. I mean, you should have seen the first draft of the script. It was big sci-fi fantasy. And so Kind of finding the the scale and and dwindling that and pulling that back, like just to be able to shoot it during this time was, you know, it actually worked. I think it it lends itself to the claustrophobia of the character and sort of the dr- dream surrealism too. Mm-hmm. We prepped it to high heaven, and I, you know, had been conceptualizing everything for over a year, so mm. it was uh, pretty seamless getting it all up off of its feet. You know, obviously, if we had more time, more money, you know, all of these things, but I'm really pleased with what we were able to to do. So, where was the inspiration for the story from? How did you come up with this? 
I um, was interested in exploring childhood trauma through the fantasy, you know, horror lens. I mean, all horror, right, is sort of unpacking and analyzing some sort of trauma. But I personally fell in love with cinema and storytelling from Tolkien, from, you know, directors like Guillermo del Toro. And, and through that lens, it was a really huge escape for me as a, as a child. And I definitely like kind of grew up in a tumultuous environment. And so I started thinking a lot about early childhood trauma, learning about it, going to healing trauma centers, exploring trauma therapy. The more I learned about it, the more intrigued I was and really wanted to craft a story about overcoming the moment where your inner child dies or mm-hmm. the light goes out and you're, you no longer see the world the same way. Right, right, right. And through, you know, kind of like group therapy and, and psychodrama, which is something I discovered in this process, which is like, the whole blazing world feels like one big psychodrama. I don't know if you know anything about psychodrama, mm-hmm. but can you give me a, a brief rundown? It's where you like act out your trauma. And, like, oh well, that sounds like like exactly what I did with my phone. So <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, totally, totally. April feels to find a psychodrama. Like you, you know, in in a safe, controlled environment would sort of set the scene. Mm-hmm. and um, have the conversation that you need to have with the person who did whatever to you. And, mm. you know, you the way I'm sure there's a lot of different ways to to do this. And I'm just explaining my experience. But, you know, you really set the scene and you kind of enlist the people that are in the room with you to play X, Y and Z. And it's very cathartic. It's an mm. enormous release. And mm-hmm. it's really, really quite profound. And so the more that I did, I did some of that work myself, and then and then watched other people do it, I realized how universal childhood trauma is. And that a lot of times, like the other traumas that happen in our adulthood are things that have its roots in earlier places mm-hmm. in our experience in our childhoods and and then I started learning about just where the what what neuroscience says about all of it and learning about the when and where and how your brain develops at what age because my mentality has always been why can't I get over this stuff? Like I was eight or like I was four, I was 12, like, come on, like, what is wrong with me? Why am I still like plagued by these things? And the answer is like, because like, it's, it's happened when your brain was developing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And because trauma doesn't have a sense of time, like that is a really, really big, really, really big thing that trauma does not have a sense of time. So you could be living your whole life in a trauma response and not even know it which is really scary. And that's, that was the catalyst for the character of Margaret. Like the jumping off point was like, she's lived her life in a trauma loop. And Mm -hmm. so when she goes to take her own life, she has like this chance to like enter fully that trauma loop and overcome it and like slay the demons that live there. So yeah, but it's, it's, it's interesting. Like April feels the vibe is total psychodrama too. Yeah, it's funny. When you said psychodrama, I was like, is that a genre of film? 
because that's what it sounds like. <laughs> it should and be. I think it, it kind of is, you know? Yeah, it is. So April Kills the Vibe is based on a true story of something that happened to me. I'm I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict. I'm nine years sober. Congrats. Thank you. And I had a lot of, of trauma in my drinking days, you know? Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. was just one of those rock bottom moments that led me to looking for help and changing my life, you know? Yeah. So reenacting this, if you haven't seen the film, uh, I mean, I know you have, but just for people that are listening, uh, I was sexually assaulted in a blackout. Mm. Um, and then I woke up the next day and I called my friend that I was out partying with to kind of figure out what the hell happened. Cause I didn't remember anything. And I was met with like slut shaming and it was just like an ugly conversation that kind of like ended our friendship, you know? Mm. And when I was writing it, it ended up being a lot more cathartic than I thought it would be. I was like, I just mm-hmm. want to, I started out doing this in quarantine. Cause I was like, well, I've been wanting to do a scene for my acting reel because my, you know, I haven't done a whole lot of acting. And so I'm mm-hmm. like, well, let, let me get some more stuff on there. Cause I want to get more into that. And then I have an amazing acting coach and I had some scenes that I'd done in class and that had gone over well. And I was like, I'm just going to try this. And I was like, you know what? I just, it wasn't connecting with me, you know, mm-hmm. like it wasn't speaking mm-hmm. to me. And that's been like my experience in my limited experience with acting is that every time I read a script or whatever, I'm like, I want to change everything where I'm like, I think it should say this. I think it should be like this, you know? And so I was like, well, you know what? I'm just going to write my own scene. So I started Mm -hmm. writing it and all of a sudden it was like 10 minutes and I was like, oh, right. This is a short film. This is, this is not a scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, but it ended up being a lot more cathartic than I expected it to be. I was like, I just want to make like an acting reel, whatever. And then I ended up like completely delving into my past, reliving this trauma, going into psychodrama therapy. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was it was empowering being on set, um, reenacting the morning after where April mm-hmm. goes into the bathroom and realizes what had happened. Mm-hmm. It was I kind of felt like I was cheating as an actor because it was based on a real experience. I already had those raw emotions right under the surface. No, no, not cheating. Well, I mean, you know, that's just, that's just good. It's just, (laughs) (laughs) well, thank you. I don't really understand actors who don't, who don't seriously source their own stuff. Right. Their own trauma. It doesn't seem, I don't get that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I guess there's like, look, I mean, you're a trained actor. I've had some training, but I, I mostly am just like a play pretend kind of person. And I know there's like a million ways to skin a cat, you know? Yes, yes. But just this was so much fun for me because I really got to sink my teeth into something Mm -hmm. and show my range, especially playing two different characters in the film. Yeah, and that was so seamless. Oh, thank you. You, I I had to like kind of stop and be like, wait a second, wait a second. Because you can just totally morph I mean even I mean, yes you're the acting but your look too mm, I was like wow that's really it seriously like I did a double take because I didn't yeah I, I waited for the credits for me for sure <laughs> yeah it was it was fun for me I mean I love playing dress up and Halloween is my favorite thing of all time it's like might as well be my birthday I take it very <laughs> seriously and so and I was very self-conscious about playing two different characters because that's like a little bit of a trope and a little bit of a mm-hmm, gimmick, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, everything down to like the manicure that Lola had versus April and I wore colored contacts and I did like self tanner all over for Lola. And I was like really dedicated to like looking very different. I was so terrified that it would be like, what is this bullshit of this girl just mm. like talking to herself, you know? No, no, it didn't, it didn't be that way at all. Well, thank you. That's a relief to hear. 
Did you find playing the other character, did you learn anything about the friend and like any sort of empathy that was born or the opposite? No, absolutely. And that was the most healing part. Because when I was writing the script, first of all, I didn't plan on playing both characters. It was like, because it, it was, it was kind of born out of necessity at first where I was like, well, it's the quarantine. Like, I don't know who would play this. Nobody wants to, it was like right in the beginning of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was worried about getting actors. Um, and I was also worried because I'm such a control freak. I'm so meticulous and like OCD. I was worried about not getting the performance that I wanted out of this like very personal story of mine, you know? Mm -hmm. But when I started writing the script and thinking about the motivations of each character, and thinking, you know, because when you're writing each line, it's like, what's underneath it? What's the motivation behind? Why is she saying this? You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I started. Yeah, I had a lot of empathy for Lola and it made me completely rethink Lola's experience in my situation. Wow. Because like at the time I was a fuck up alcoholic addict nightmare. I was I was a sloppy buzzkill nightmare, as Lola says. And like for me to expect someone to take care of me in that state, especially when I'm like that all the time, that's not fair. Like that's completely codependent. That's completely like me not taking responsibility for my own safety. And I also realized in writing this, which was so ugly and uncomfortable, that I had kind of been in the same situation with another friend who had gotten drunk. Oh. My roommate years ago, it was her birthday. We all went to a bar that was just like a couple blocks away from our house. It was all of her childhood friends were there. Lots of people were there. I was trying to get sober at the time. So I ducked out early and was like, all right, see you at home. There's like 10 people here that you know and love. And then when I woke up the next morning, like a strange guy left her bedroom. And I was like, oh, like little birthday one night stand. And she was like, no idea what happened. What the fuck? Why did you leave me? And then I was like, oh, like I thought you were okay. Like I didn't know it was my job to right. babysit you, you know? Right, 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 and right. So like it like brought back this, back this other thing where I was like, fuck, I've been on both sides of this conversation. And so it was important to me to play both characters, not only to hold myself accountable for my own part in like not being dismissive, but just being defensive where it's like, well, what the fuck? This isn't my job, you know? And also to learn to forgive Lola. And I did. It was amazing. I was shocked. Wow. I was like, fuck, wow. this is, this is so healing, you know? Yeah. It was really cool. And then also it was funny, you know, when I showed it to friends, even like girls that I know that have kind of been in similar situations. And by the way, every girl I showed it to was like, yep, same. Like mm -hmm. we've all had some kind of form of this. Oh yeah. I still got some responses from people that were like, you know, at first I felt bad for April. And then when, when Lola started talking about all of the like slutty shit she had done, I was kind of like, well... And I'm like, oh, well, so she deserves to be assaulted while she's unconscious? What the fuck? You know? Yeah. So that was yeah. really what I want. This The conversation I wanted to have was was about consent mm -hmm. and how people assume that if, you know, I know that sex workers have a lot of that sort of uh, slut shaming stuff, too, where it's like, oh, well, you're you're a sex worker, so you're asking for it. And it's like, no, there's still consent involved, you know? And so that was kind of the conversation that I wanted to have. And I was I was shocked that so many people still reacted the way that I didn't want them to. I think the through line, if there is one, like between April Hill's Vibe and Blazing World is like that internalized misogyny mm -hmm. of like why a woman would have that reaction to her experience of, yeah, well, you know, she kind of was asking for it. It's like, mm -hmm. you learned that sometime yeah. in your life. Yeah. Like, 
the next feature that I'm doing, I don't know when, hopefully this year, but called Feminine Knox is so, 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 so all about this. Again, it's a 12-year-old, so not, um, not exactly the same time period, but it's about when a girl learns about their female identity in the context of, you know, our modern society. And like, I vividly remember, and this is in the script, but I vividly remember like seeing a sexual assault on, on the news. And I'm not sure there was, I don't know if it was my dad or some, some like male authority figure. We were watching it and you know, they said, well, that's why you don't walk around alone at night. Yeah. And you're like, you know, I was a child. So I was like, okay. And, you know, didn't think anything of it. But I look back at that now and I'm like, that is such a fucked narrative. Yeah, like, absolutely. Really? You know? Yeah. And it's it's just true. And those, the way people interpret the subjectivity of sexual assault now is so directly related to the representations of you know women that they grew up with absolutely yeah I mean being intoxicated while female is like having a target on your head yeah and people automatically are like well you shouldn't have done that and it's and I like that I've I've seen more recently in culture people having the conversation about like can we start telling the boys not to rape the girls maybe instead of telling the girls to not get raped Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know I mean I I have problems with addiction and whatever. And I just know that that's not good for me. But isn't it sad that as as a female, I can't just get blackout drunk and and be like, going about my business. You know what I mean? Like, why does that yeah, have yeah, to be yeah. dangerous? You're vulnerable and dangerous. Why do I have to be in, in yeah, in danger automatically, yeah. because I want to mm-hmm. have a wild night, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's gnarly. I really went through like the whole cycle of trauma all over again, going through like asking all these big kind of existential questions and about our society and my role in it. And yeah, it was pretty heavy. I was, it was kind of like a dark, weird time, especially like being in the pandemic and everything that was happening in the world and on the news. And it was, it was just Mm -hmm. like very intense time to be like delving into this trauma. (laughs) Yeah. And I think you probably weren't the only one, you know, I mean, it's like, this is it's like this whole like isolation of 2020 Mm -hmm. slash beginning of 2021 is like, you're looking in the mirror because you can't really do anything else. Yeah. Which is good. I mean, I hope that people, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's been depressing, but I don't know. The only way out is in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely been a depressing, insane year and a half, but it's also been beautiful in a lot of ways Yeah, because I think people are forced to, like you said, look in the mirror and sit with themselves and, um, you know, with all of the Black Lives Matter stuff and the protests and people really taking a look at themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that if, if we weren't all stuck in our houses looking at the Internet, we probably wouldn't. <laughs> It'd be easier to just like go about your life and just keep on living the way you were, because that's just not that's just not a problem I have to think about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it, there was like a beauty in that as well, a beauty in mm-hmm. the breakdown, you know? For sure. And growing in profound discomfort is kind of a given. Yes. You know, we know that this is how you grow. So as uncomfortable as it's been, I think that, you know, I do think there's a light, a light at the end of the tunnel. One thing I really wanted to talk about with you was just your transition. I mean, obviously, anybody who is listening to this knows that you're like an iconic songwriter. So oh, thank you. how did you 
know that you wanted to transition and you know take take this stab at directing as your directorial debut and then and then do you have other you know scripts and and scenes or stories that you had written and then but you knew you wanted to do this one or what was that process like for you so I always wanted to act and whatever like when I was a little girl I was like I want to be a pop star and I want to be an actress and whatever I wanted to be I like to perform you know and then I kind of became a songwriter by accident and I I just love to write. I've always loved to write. My favorite part about being in the music industry and like the reason I got into it when I was a little girl, besides just loving to sing, was watching music videos. I loved making music videos. Like I wanted, Mm -hmm. I would watch Madonna or Britney Spears or whoever and be like, that's what I want to do. Like I want to make these little mini movies, you know? And then I have always been very hands-on in my music video process and I really honestly have, have directed a lot of them, but I never took the credit because there's also this kind of thing where it's like, that's what boys do. Like I hire a boy (laughs) and then I tell him everything that I want him to do. And then he's the director, you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so like really only in the past, like five or six years was I like, I have been fucking directing for years. And I just never, where I'm like, this is the angle. This is the shot. This is the set design. This is how I want it to look this, you know? And I just didn't realize that I thought that directing meant that I had to know about cameras. And I was like, I don't know anything about cameras. (laughs) Therefore I'm not a director, you know? So I knew that I wanted to do that. And when it came to April Kills a Vibe, I, it's part of a larger series that I hope to make. Um, I want to make a an semi-autobiographical series about my experience being a recovering addict female in the cutthroat music industry, because I've had some insane adventures and um, it's, pretty, it's a pretty gnarly, wacky story. And I, I want to be able to connect my two passions, which are film and music. Yeah. So I'd love to do kind of not a musical as in like burst in a songs in the street, but like a music based series where we look at the actual circumstances and very real gritty raw experiences that the creators have in my industry and how they spin that into pop songs. Every sparkly pop song you hear on the radio comes from somebody's real experience. Or the yeah. good ones do anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in the same way that, it, you know, A Star is Born, where you kind of see them writing the songs and you know mm-hmm. the motivations behind the songs and everything. Like it gives the songs a lot more weight when you know the stories behind them. Yeah. So I really want to tell that story and have music video fantasies and everything else. Um, and that was the one thing about April Kills a Vibe. Like when I made it, I was like, okay, I'm proud of the writing. I'm, I'm proud of my performance. It doesn't really look the way that I it doesn't look like the things that I love to watch because it was very like set in reality. And like, I love fantasy and I love colorful over the top fun, surrealist shit. And so that was like the one element that was missing from April Kills of Vibe. But I wanted to make something that wasn't music related just to be like, look what I can do that without using the ace up my sleeve that I'm a hit songwriter, you know? Right, 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 right. Um, and so in anything that I do moving forward, I want to make sure that I can have an element of that sort of surrealist um, fantasy feel. And so in this musical series, I would love to be able to do music video fantasies and kind of like, you know, drug experiences, that kind of stuff. That's so intriguing. I want to watch that immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I think that your short will be a great calling card. That's kind of what my experience has been like with um, the Blazing World short film, mm-hmm. which did the festival stuff in 2018. And the, it was good because 
I didn't like get the team off of the short, but I got a lot of really good interest mm-hmm. and a lot of really great conversations stemmed from from the short. And then obviously, you know, having the trust there to make the feature version, which was obviously a much bigger scope of work, was just instrumental. Like you have to have that short, you know, to yeah. to get the next. The best advice that I got was no one will let you direct the feature unless you make a cool short. And I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's what I've realized. But it's funny, like I got one, like I, I sent it to someone and the one piece of feedback that I got that I was like, uh-oh, was like, I they watched the short. I sent them a deck for the larger series, which like has no mention at all of sexual assaults or anything, because that's just mm-hmm. one piece of one episode. That's right. not the whole, you know? And the response I got was like, well, it's a little close to I May Destroy You. I'm like, that's a show entirely based around one sexual assault and this woman trying to put the pieces together. This is yeah. A, yeah. a 13 minute short that's yeah. like a piece of a bigger thing. But because I didn't put any music in it, it's not a great representation of what the bigger project is gonna be. And I'm like, damn, do I have to like do another one to be like, okay, no. this one has music, this is what it's gonna be like, you know? You're gonna get so many bullshit opinions that don't matter and like, don't let them deter you because you know, you you know you know what the series is mm-hmm. visually and what it is and isn't about like if your deck is airtight I think that will be really helpful something that I make too is like a style guide mm. so something that's kind of like a component to the deck that mm-hmm. talks a lot about the visual references and goes a little bit deeper into like the camera work for sure that's exactly what I did it's like a beautiful like whole thing where it's like here it is this is what it's gonna look like this is what it's gonna sound like here's how I want to do a a song with every episode I went blah 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 like I went in it's like a 20 page whole like visual amazing spectacular thing it's really exciting though yeah well I really really love your film and I'm Thank excited. I, also, I didn't realize that you started it with a short. And I'm really interested to watch the short version and see how it changed. Did you use any of the original stuff from the short in the full length? Or did you completely reshoot stuff? No, it was completely reshot. Yeah. Right. And the short the short was really a vignette um, of that character's high school experience Mm. um so it's a different it's a different time in her life and right 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 more than anything I just wanted to be like kind of visually representative of the world and 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 tonally Mm -hmm. like I think the short the short is like there's not that much dialogue it's Mm -hmm. it's very very different than than the feature right it's so funny being a rookie in a new industry because I've been like, you're such you know, a pro I, in yours. Yeah, it's so funny. I'm just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just like, have a cool idea. And I just like, yeah. you know, make it happen. I just am like a manifester where I'm like, I want to make something and then I make it happen. But yeah. I, then I have no idea what to do with it. So it's just like, it's funny. It's kind of fun because, you know, being in the music industry and kind of like winning that rat race after 20 years or whatever, and then being like, well, what's next? I'm just kind of like, I, I want a challenge. And I like going in and being like, teach me. I, I want to know. Yeah. I want to learn. I want to collaborate, you know? Yes. Um, so yes. It's been refreshing, you know, like a new chapter for me. That's exciting. Well, I mean, of course, just any, 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 anything that I can help you with. <laughs> Thank you. I, I don't know. I'm like, I, I've been an actor for a minute, but even navigating the whole 
I mean, just getting anything made is a miracle. It really is. It's so Mm -hmm. hard to do and so many moving parts and the stars have to um, literally align. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like you just hear so many different things from so many different people as to how it go about something. And you don't, you just don't really know until you, (laughs) you shake all the trees. You just have to try everything. Yeah. 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 And I think that that was, that was the thing was that I was like, it seemed so far away and so out of reach where I was like, Oh, like I would love to direct one day, but it's just like, I don't know how to do that. And then it was like, well, just like hire a DP, write a script Mm -hmm. and fucking shoot it. You know, (laughs) what's your next step with your furniture? How are you going to save your furniture? I I was just about to say that. I'm like, do I have to get back to my (laughs) <laughs> my horrible thing um, uh, the next step is like talking to like detectives <laughs> and um, yeah like talking to an insurance person I don't know so that's like fuck are there cameras at the storage unit maybe yeah we went we went to the storage unit we went to the only address that we could find on the internet and it's literally a fucking rail railroad like enter at your own risk, cancer causing chemicals. There is no storage unit oh at my this address. God. <laughs> it's such yeah. a nightmare. It's literally what you have. It's like a nightmare that you have about moving. Right. Fuck. You know, yeah. I cannot believe that. I'm so sorry. It's okay. But think of it as the tower card, you know? Yeah. Like burn it all down and start over. Burn it down. Reds are red. <laughs> Burn it down, indeed. Thank you so much to Bonnie McKee and Carlson Young for being on the Top Guys podcast, and thanks to you for listening. Go find out more about April Kills the Vibe at aprilkillsthevibe.com, where there's info on where the film is screening next. And look out for The Blazing World coming out later this year. This episode was produced by Melissa Kaplan, and the Top House podcast theme music, as ever, was composed and performed by The Range. For more filmmakers talking film and TV, visit TalkHouse.com slash film. Subscribe to the TalkHouse podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and go dig into our archive. I'm Nick Dawson, and until next time, take it easy and stay safe. This is the frumpiest year of my life, by far. Like, I've never, I've never owned sweatpants, and now it's all I, it's all I own. I used to be like a four-inch heels every day kind of person, and now I'm just like, Oh, it slides. <laughs>